Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your bonus mission, should you choose to accept it, is to rethink how we teach sex education. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is middle school science teacher Louis Mayday Travis of Seattle, Washington, and last week's guest. According to the CDC, in 2011, 47% of high school students reported being sexually active, and of those, 60% reported condom use, and 23% reported one of the partners being on a birth control pill. As of 2017, young people aged 15 to 24 years acquire half of all new STIs, or sexually transmitted infections, and one in four sexually active adolescent females has an STI, such as chlamydia or human papillomova virus, or as it's commonly known, HPV. Now, the fact that these stats are readily available, but not how often people of the same age group had an unconsensual sexual experience shows how much we as a society demonize STIs as the awful consequence of sexual activity. I mean, really, chlamydia is easily cured with seven days worth of antibiotics, and someone can have HPV, be asymptomatic, and have it go away by itself. However, regardless of our thoughts on these statistics, we know that teenagers are having sex, and the information that they receive about it varies. In fact, depending on their state or province, the sex education a young person receives can be drastically different. Students in Hawaii get, quote, medically accurate and factual information that is age-appropriate and includes education on abstinence, contraception, and methods of disease prevention to prevent unintended pregnancy and STIs, including HIV. In Wisconsin, quote, Abstinence will be presented as the sure way to prevent pregnancy and STIs. Instruction must identify the skills necessary to remain abstinent. Children in the same family may even get startlingly different information, depending on when they attended school. Starting in 2015, students in Ontario had been receiving an updated sex ed curriculum that included topics such as masturbation for pleasure and different sexual and gender identities. In 2018, the newly elected premier, Doug Ford, canceled the new curriculum and reverted back to the previous version, which was created in 1998. Fortunately, I had the opportunity to talk with Louis Mayday Travis, who was my last week's guest. Although I couldn't include it among all the other amazing things he talked about, I thought it was important enough to warrant its own bonus episode. So here is our discussion on inclusive sex ed, why it's important, where it's going, and how the adults in students' lives can supplement what they're getting in school. This part of our conversation started with me ranting. So some very disappointing things happening in the Washington legislature, specifically around language that would make sex education more inclusive, and specifically what seemed to upset the most people, other than the use of the word trans, was consent. People really did not want consent being taught, which blew my mind. And so you are fairly passionate about having inclusive 
sex ed. And so maybe you can talk about A, what that looks like, but B, going forward, what do you see happening and how we can make change? Great questions. Sex ed is so fraught and so important. Like it feels like my work teaching sex ed felt like some of the most important work that I probably will ever do because we are living in a society that is often so sex negative and creates a space where students are led to believe that having a body and pursuing pleasure or family making or whatever is like inherently bad and shameful. What does inclusive sex ed look like? I mean, it's going to look really different like depending on where you are, but it at a fundamental level, I do believe needs to include the beautiful diversity of gender, sex, and sexuality that exists. Not in a pornographic way, but in a, just a way like this is normal and exists and like is out there for you as you grow into adulthood. And also fundamentally needs to have students leaving with an understanding of like what consent can really look like. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting because I think for me as someone who's in the queer and trans communities, I have had the privilege of really engaging in a wide variety of um, spaces, whether that's like dance community or living in collective housing or, you know, in my own romantic life where what consent looks like is so radically different than what is portrayed in the media and what people often encounter on a day-to-day basis and the way that bodies, especially bodies on the margin, whether that's women's bodies, trans bodies, black and brown bodies are treated as disposable and not requiring consent for things to happen to them. That it seems so essential that it is required that kids have to engage in these questions and really think about what does consent mean and really practice that. But like little things like when a colleague comes in and I want to give them a hug, I ask, hey, would you like a hug right now? Which is kind of countercultural, but it like really is something that I try to do with my friends in real time, and I want to model that for students as being like, anytime you were engaging with somebody's body, like ask for consent, and if someone wants a hug, great, and if they don't, that is like that does not hurt my feelings. Little pe- little moments like that, I think, are in the long run more powerful than you know the best worksheet that you've ever created about how to think about evolutionary relationships. Do I have an easy answer of like? how to make that pass in the Washington state legislature. Absolutely not. I do have faith that um, together as communities, we are sort of rallying to support really inclusive sex education here in the state. And I also have a lot of hope based on just engaging with young people and like hearing the sorts of things that are increasingly accessible to young people online. And I would really encourage any young person out there who is looking for answers to check out some really excellent resources like those at Planned Parenthood or Scarletine. I think there's awesome stuff out there that um, is more accessible than ever. For parents out there that want to have these conversations, um, so for example, I learned sex ed from my parents, the birds and the bees, on a magnadoodle oh, from the 90s where you would like yeah. draw it and then erase it. And then my mom, when I was about 10 or 11, it's like, the book What's Happening to Your Body <laughs> which just magically appear in the bathroom uh, and then I'd like covertly read it and I'm sure she would have been open if we wanted to have more conversations about it um, and I'm sure she tried and got the answer of mom I don't want to talk about this <laughs> you know so how can parents supplement what their students are are getting from the media and maybe from their school that they don't support in having those conversations without 
perhaps just driving their kid to embarrassment <laughs> and never want to talk to them about it again. To never look at the magnadoodle the same way again. Oh God, yes. Scarred for life. <laughs> I think that in general there's a lot of evidence that kids want to be talking with the grown-ups in their lives about these issues that are really fraught and scary for a lot of grown-ups, whether that's sex ed, whether that's drug and alcohol use. And one of the cool things about when those things happen in school is that you actually have a pretty logical reason to bring it up. Just be like, hey, you know, I hear that this is, you know, what are you doing in health class this week? Or what are you doing in science class? And being able to open that door to start those conversations can be really powerful. And I would encourage any parent or grown-up in a kid's life to open that door and see where that kid will go with you. And I also, there are really excellent resources online. I believe Planned Parenthood, and there's at least one other resource like specifically geared towards parents and caregivers who want to start having those conversations with kids in a way that is healthy and age appropriate. So definitely a, like a good Google search. You'll get there. <laughs> awesome. If you're interested in hearing more about what Lewis does in his classroom, please take a listen to episode six on inclusive science. And if you have any questions, definitely reach out fishyteaching at gmail.com. We also have listserv of biology, science, and sex ed teachers who are interested in doing gender inclusive work in their classrooms. And if you're interested in joining listserv, you can also email me. Thank you for listening to Lesson Impossible. And do feel free to check out the variety of resources that Lewis mentions in the show notes.